Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Ashley Audrain is the author of The Whispers, a novel. This is actually one of my Zippy's book club picks for this fall. So be sure to join Zippy's book club, which you can read about on zippymedia.com and attend our book club where we can discuss The Whispers and then we'll have a Q&A with Ashley about the book. Doesn't that sound like fun? Why would you not want to join? Come on, you can do it. Anyway, Ashley Audrain's debut novel, The Push, was a New York Times, Sunday Times of London, and number one international bestseller and a Good Morning America book club pick. I had Ashley on for The Push as well. It has sold in more than 40 territories, and a limited television series is currently in development. Ashley previously worked as a publicity director of Penguin Books Canada— 
Prior to that, she worked in public relations. She lives in Toronto, where she and her partner are raising their two young children. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Whispers, which as I was just telling you, I have not been able to put down. I've been like carrying it around into cars, out of cars, like (laughs) don't talk to me right now kind of book. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Vivian. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. Tell listeners what The Whispers is about. Sure. So The Whispers is about four neighboring women who live on Harlow Street, and they don't quite realize the ways in which their lives are connected until there's a tragedy that happens one night on the street. And that tragedy sort of acts as this thread, you know, that's pulled and all of the women's lives kind of unravel in different ways. And they're forced to face secrets they've long kept, and they're forced to sort of face the whispers they have long ignored in their lives um, and realize ways in which they are indeed quite connected. Yeah. So interesting. I know I've, I've been shocked a couple of times. <laughs> good. Um, That's good. <laughs> not to mention the one, I don't even, I don't want to give anything away, but the whole situation on the bed, you know, yes. yeah. I was like, no, this is not happening. <laughs> Stop. And then I was like, where is Ashley coming up with this? <laughs> Yes, yes, that is that is a scene. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe maybe this is your deepest darkest secrets coming to to haunt us all. I know. I was we were I was joking with my friends that nobody will ever let me host it for them again. I'm sure, but that's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! So there's so much to discuss about this book. There are so many takes on motherhood. I feel like all of this is like a not a referendum, but some sort of exploration of different mm-hmm. types of motherhood and you know what it takes. Are you the type of mom who wants everything to look good, but not be there? And in fact, Mm -hmm. or do you want to devote yourself completely a hundred percent and lose another part of yourself? Or, you know, is it to your kid's advantage or not? Like, that's the other thing. It's like, are, are we all doing our kids a service? Or are we hurting them with our parenting? So maybe just start with parenting, mothering in general, parenting in general, and and what you were hoping to sort of tease out with some of these narratives. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I I did sort of want to, you know, especially with the characters, there's, there's, we hear from the perspective of four women, I should say, in the book. And three of them are women sort of in midlife. And one of them is an 80 year old neighbor sort of watching it all go down. And two of these women in particular, who we hear from, Blair and Whitney, are polar opposites, you know, when it comes to mothering and parenting. And I, I had so much fun writing them. You know, they, they are best friends connected through their children. And I think that's such an interesting relationship, like the mom friend, you know, like so often we become friends with women who maybe we would not normally in any other circumstance, but we're connected through our kids, you know, because they're, they're in the same year at school or in this case, they, you know, they live across the street from each other and, and, and become quite close. And I think that, you know, we talk about the different kinds of parents and different kinds of mothers. And so often, Often, I think we like learn about ourselves as mothers in the reflection of other people, you know, like we sort of mother in relation to each other a lot. I don't know if you found that with your kids, but, you know, so often you'll look at another mom and you'll just admire something so much, you know, about the way that she mothers or the way she is with her kid or the decisions she's made. And it really makes you look at your own life and think like, am I, you know, it's a lot of comparison. Am I measuring up to that? Um, Maybe you've made completely different decisions and that's also a reflection, you know, to kind of stop and think, you know, why we've made the decisions 
we have as parents. And so these two women, yeah, they're, they're really at the opposite end. You know, we have Blair who gave up everything in her life, basically, you know, by by choice, willingly, happily to, to stay home and raise her daughter. Um, and she was quite satisfied by that, you know, for a long time until she kind of hit this midlife point. Her daughter's a little older. She's feeling less needed and sort of taking a look around and thinking, well, what, what do I have left? Like, how did I get here? And who really am I? And what am I going to do about that? And then we have Whitney across the street who has three kids and really can honestly say she does not love being a mother. You know, she she would rather stay at the office late, you know, to prep for a presentation the next day than to go home and deal with bedtime and bath time and all of that. And so I think there's such an interesting pair because, you know, Whitney will often say, and she says in the book, like, I I just, sometimes I just want to be with Blair because it like helps me think about my children. It helps me feel more maternal, you know, and then vice versa. We hear Blair want to be with Whitney because she's just craving something else. And she thinks Whitney's so interesting and has so much going on in her life. And so, yeah, it was, it was, they sort of act as a foil to one another in terms of their mothering. And I think Whitney keeps Blair around just to make her feel better. Blair's always pumping her up. And, you know, it's, yeah. she's like, do one you need to get encouragement when really she doesn't even deserve the encouragement? Not that we don't yeah. all deserve encouragement. And then you have Rebecca, who I think might be my favorite. Not that I'm supposed to pick favorites, but Rebecca is, you know, trying-ish, has been trying, has been having a really hard time mm-hmm. with miscarrying babies and just mourning and longing and going through that whole thing. But also pushing her body to the limits as a doctor and mm-hmm. going to the edge of sleep over and over. And just like, <laughs> there was the one moment where you're like, she had to what splash cold water on her face just to be able to like work through the tiredness and all of that. Yes. And yet she's the one taking care of everybody else. And that gives us a view into what's happening with Xavier or Xavier. But anyway, I kind of loved Rebecca's view on everything. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about creating her character. Yeah. I, I've heard from a lot of people that Rebecca, you know, is her, is her favorite and she is their favorite. Rebecca is the character. She, so she's the woman who lives on the street who does not have a child. As you said, she is sort of desperate to have a child of her own and she can get pregnant quite quickly, but she experiences pregnancy loss. You know, she's had this historical pregnancy loss over and over. And, and I thought it it was a bit cruel, you know, to give Rebecca this profession that she has, you know, and also suffer from what she does, you know, in her health, because she goes to work every day, you know, saving other people's children. She's a physician in in an emergency room at a children's hospital. And so that is what she does every day, look after other people and other people's children. um, And yet, you know, can't have this experience herself. And I've also been a little bit fascinated by physicians, you know, by by healthcare professionals and doctors. And you're nodding along. I think it's probably because we're so, our minds are in our, our work in completely different ways. But, you know, her every day and all in her natural way of thinking, is guided by reason and you know what is rational and fact and answers to questions. She is she's a scientist. And yet for her own health problem, you know, she sits across the table from a doctor, you know, who says, well, sorry, we just don't have any answers. You know, we know that women's health, re- reproductive health is, you know, hugely underfunded and under-researched. And that's the reality for many women, right? They they don't get answers. And sort of the the advice is to hold on to hope you know, hope for a miracle. And that that's not Rebecca's way of thinking. You know, that is not how she has spent her, you know, 38 years on the on, on earth. So yeah, I think she's she's facing, you know, that 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 particular challenge. And you know, there I had you know a lot of discussions with editors and whatnot about how much of this pregnancy loss, you know, to put on the page. Like she's kind of recounting these pregnancy losses that she's had in the past. And, you know, it's so interesting, like what I, I had miscarriages when I was having my children. And I remember sort of after being sort of like stunned by how truly foreign, you know, that experience was. 
And, you know, it, 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 and I sort of occurred to me that like, well, well, this is like the specifics of it. We do not share. You do not see it on the page. You definitely do not see it on screen. It's this, you know, thing that happens that we very much just skip over, you know, to the next scene, the next chapter. And I think we do that because, you know, miscarriage to me is one of those things that makes other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so as women, you know, we silence ourselves about it or we don't share about it. And so I just wanted to put a bit more of what that really feels like, you know, on the page with Rebecca kind of recounting what that's, what that's been like. Um, that, that was important to me with her character in this book. Well, that absolutely came through. And I'm sorry about your own miscarriages and the pain and the loss and the visual stuff and the body stuff Mm -hmm. and all of it. I mean, she buried the fetus. Oh my gosh. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, it was really, it's, it's tough to read because it's obviously so real and comes from such a place of, you know, understanding and empathy and all of that, but just bereft, you know, and it happens all the time, you know, it happens all the time. So it does. And I think the other thing with Rebecca is like, I think that unless you've been through it, you know, you might not realize how completely all consuming it is. And we get to see that through Rebecca, you know, she has to go to work every day. She has to function. She's trying to have this family. She's trying to do all these things, you know, her marriage, everything. And she just cannot stop thinking about it. You know, she cannot stop. Her mind is stuck there. Um, And I think for a lot of women, that's exactly how it feels. You know, you sort of move through your day going through the motions, but all you're thinking about, you know, is how much you wish you were still pregnant or when you can get pregnant next or, you know, watching the calendar, counting the days. That's such a reality for women, I think. And you brought up in the book too, this three-month code of silence. Mm. Now it actually makes it so hard because before three months, we don't tell anybody. But then when you lose the baby and people are like, how are you? You have to be like, I'm fine. But yesterday I was pregnant today. I'm not pregnant, but I can't tell you any of this. So like, I don't know. Then there's immediately a wall that goes up. You can't be intimate really with anybody without, because you're always hiding secrets. It's a strange thing, isn't it? It's a strange thing that we've arrived at this, or we've been in this place for a long time, you know, in society and culture where you just don't talk about it for three months, you know, and that rule comes from this place where, well, you might lose the baby and then what? Well, the answer is, well, and then everyone around you feels uncomfortable. Then everyone yeah, doesn't know right. what to say like that to me. It, there's such a disconnect there between, and we uphold that so strongly still. It's so interesting, you know, and, and, and I like even, you know, sometimes people will tell you they're pregnant before three months and you sort of go, Ooh, like you oh, sort yeah. of, you sort yeah. of feel a little bit like you almost don't, you know, you yeah. feel worried for them. And it's, it's such a strange thing that we have not got past. We have not, you know, evolved with that for some reason. Well, also this instinct to protect ourselves from pain, but it doesn't mm. work. Yeah. Like that, it doesn't work. It's not like you're like, oh yeah, okay. It's before three months. It doesn't hurt then because I knew it was coming. Like it's still, anyway, whatever. In fact, in fact, it's even more painful, right? Because you are grieving and nobody knows and you can't share that with anyone. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but that's only one small part of this whole story. (laughs) You know, when I think back on the push for your last book and this book, there is this undercurrent of like, the out of control feeling that every mm-hmm. parent sort of feels at times is frustration and where the mind goes to the worst. Like what if you just lost that last bit of control when you're angry or upset? And like, what if you go too far? Then what? Like, mm-hmm. of course, every, and you show it in the book, like, of course you love your kids. Everybody loves your kids, but like everyone has those breaking point moments. And I would say 99% of people that go right, reel themselves right back and be like, oof, gosh, you know, that was really got angry there. I'm glad I, you know, glad they went to school or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something or glad I didn't, nobody saw me, you know, when I was yeah. reading this book, I have a neighbor across the hall and I was like, oh my gosh, does she hear me like screaming when the kids are five minutes late? You know, like, get in the yeah. car, you know, it's so embarrassing. And yeah. then like, you know, you just have to pack up and move on. But anyway, you explore that 
instinct and like sort of the the most generous with the most hurtful and I don't know. Talk a, talk a little bit about that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Yeah, I, you know, yes, I, I think it's exactly what you said. You know, we've all experienced that. And I think that we like, we live so much more of our lives as mothers in that space of like being on the brink than we would all like to. Right. And we've, we've just, we've all had that experience of like, you know, yelling at our kids and then turning around and being like, God, someone's standing a little too close. And they definitely heard that. Or <laughs> yeah. Like the neighbors being in the backyard, you know, having dinner and you realizing, Oh God, like I left the, you know, the doors open and I'm yelling at everyone to like, you know, wash their hands or whatever. Yeah. And, and it, it's, there, there's, it's so interesting to me. Like that feels like such a bare exposure, you know, like you might as well be standing naked in front of these people you know, after someone hears you get angry. And it's so interesting that like, we still, I think we still feel such shame as women around anger. And like, that starts so young, right? Like I, I have a daughter who's five and I catch myself all the time. Like when she's angry, when she's mad, when she just wants to throw things, like trying to temper her, you know, and there's, there's this, there's this real like uncomfortability around it. And this whole message of like being a good girl, you know, that like, we don't necessarily give our sons or we don't necessarily act the same way with our sons. And so it starts so young, you know, this sort of, this whole, this, this shame and embarrassment around anger. And I think, 
think, you know, I, for so much of this book, I was revising during the pandemic and that, you know, we all know that was a disastrous time for, for so many of us, for so many different reasons and in different ways. But I think for a lot of us that had little kids at home, which I know you did too, like it, anger was a daily thing, like rage, anger, frustration. And it was at the world at large and circumstance out of our control. And then trickled down to, you know, trying to do a math problem with our kids or trying to get them to sit in front of a zoom, you know, for school. And that, that was really a conversation that I was having every single day with my friends at that time. Like, why am I so angry? Why am I so mad? Where are my patients? Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, has sort of come out in Whitney's character, sort of as I was kind of thinking a lot about this at that time, like we were all feeling it. And Whitney certainly struggles with that. You know, she her she has one son in particular who is like very triggering for her. You know, he, he's like this match that gets lit under her. And it's almost like everything he does like irritates her to a level, you know, that's heightened, like beyond, you know, aside from her other, her, beyond from her other two kids. And I, yeah, I just think that that's, you know, as you said, hopefully we all, you know, most of the time, 99.9% of the time we walk ourselves back, right? And and we can talk ourselves out of it. But Whitney is someone who, who, who has a really hard time doing that you know, really hard time coping with what to do with that anger. Um, and so that becomes this sort of inciting incident in the book, but then we see it, you know, throughout these, these, these times when she just has to really cope with like how this feels and, and what that, you know, what that says about her and what, you know, the, the self-reflection she does because of that. Well, I think we're also all so highly attuned to when we hear other moms do it, because yeah. every so often we do hear something that like pushes the boundary a little. Like mm-hmm. I remember seeing a mom yell at her daughter in one of my kids' classes on the street. And I was like, ooh, but that's a little too much. And now I don't, and I sh- and there was like physical stuff involved. And I was just like, like now I'm like, I'm a little more, this is more than just we're angry and we're late, you know? This yes, all, exactly. Like, and then what do you do? You know, I don't know. And then it's like, what do you interfere? Like, I'm not going to interfere. I barely know this woman, but like, I still, you know, I, it, that, you're unsettled because like here you are yes. in the community and you see something and it's like, well, you know, maybe this isn't okay. So Yeah, maybe it isn't okay. Exactly. I, I think we've all had that too, you know, yeah. where we've heard something or witnessed something that's just, we've gone home and it has not sat right. And like, we don't feel good about it. And it doesn't mean we don't have empathy for that mother. We all do. We all know, yeah. but, but there, it, but there is, and it's, I think that's actually really what Blair struggles with in the book with Whitney, you know, she yes. has almost seen too much and she knows a little too much and she's uncomfortable with it. And yet there's this power imbalance in their relationship, you know, where like Whitney is the stronger, more confident, cooler mom. And Blair doesn't have nearly as much, you know, confidence as her, even though she feels like a more capable mother. And so there's, there's this power imbalance where like Blair would never feel like she could call out Whitney on her behavior because it would ruin too much. You know, it would, there's too much at stake in that relationship you know, between them. And yet we see how, you know, Blair throughout the book is sort of pushed to kind of really have to confront this. And what is she going to say? And what is she not going to say? And what do they rely on each other for? You know, Whitney also sort of knows that like Blair's not bold enough to say anything. And so what secrets can be safe with her, you know? Yep. So yeah, that, that, that part of their friendship was really interesting to write about too. And then we have Mara, who I also found really interesting. And her, your description of how her mother, her mothering with her son, I'm forgetting her son's name. What was her son's name again? Marcus. Marcus? Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. Her son, Marcus, and his autism or what I, we don't know what it is unless it comes out later. I told you I have a couple pages left to go, but mm-hmm. um, that she has to stay sort of glued to him his whole life and it, his descent and how at one point she asks her husband, Albert, like, I need to get 
we need to spend some money on a specialist. There might be something wrong. And how that was such a big deal Mm. and how so many people just take it for granted that like when their kids start going off the rails, like there will be help around, Mm -hmm. but what if there's not? And what, and so for so long there, there wasn't even good, you know, childhood mental health stuff uh, available. Anyway, tell me a little bit more about Mm -hmm. Mara and sort of the old neighborhood into the new and, and, you know, and her own stuff that happens to her that was like, anyway. I know. Yes. I, I really love Mara is the character probably closest to my heart just in terms of, you know, writing her story and, you know, a couple things about her. So yes, her son, Marcus, um, has selective mutism, which actually is an anxiety disorder. And so he chooses, you know, he, or he, he can't, he will not speak unless he's in like a very comfortable situation. And that is only with his mother. And so he won't speak around his father. He won't speak at school. He won't speak to anybody else. And he sort of freezes up, you know, and has this great anxiety, um, and sort of can't function you know, like another child his age. And so, yeah, he, he, she, she really sort of feels like this great protector of him, you know, that she is the champion of him. She is the only one who is going to ensure his well-being. You know, she knows her husband is never going to have a relationship with him, you know, because of the judgment that he cannot shake. And that, yeah, I wanted to write about just how hard that is for her, you know, how hard that is as his person, you know, throughout life to, to be the only one, you know, who can do anything, you know, for your child, that, that, that is a, really just a really hard, you know, position to be in and also wanting the world to see the good in him that she does, but she knows that that is very difficult. So that's sort of her backstory with her son. And we, but we meet her when she is in her eighties and she is, you know, the neighbor, one of these neighbors on the street. And that this was very much inspired by at the time that I was writing the book, I lived in this neighborhood called Little Portugal in Toronto. And I had neighbors who were 80 year old, you know, Portuguese immigrants and they were, you know, being surrounded by all of us young, noisy families, you know, moving in and renovating and all, you know, everything everyone was doing on the street. And they were one of the few families left who really embodied this like very beautiful porch culture. You know, they would sit on their porch all day and kind of watch the street go by. You know, they watched us raise our two kids in that house. And, you know, and I, and I, I never had a, we lived there for eight years and I never once had a conversation with her because she didn't speak any English at all, but there was definitely a really beautiful, you know, intimacy there with, with this woman that you see every day, you know, who watches you walk your kids to school and, you know, everything. And so my mind often wandered to like, you know, I don't know anything about her life, but my mind often wandered to like, I wonder if like, if, if this, if it's like nostalgic for her to like watch all these young families raising their kids, or if she's just sitting there judging us completely for this like modern motherhood that we're all, you know, the chaos we're all in the middle of. And I don't know, but I really, I wanted to write this character who becomes sort of, you know, Mara becomes very much this voyeur on the street. You know, she knows way more about these women's lives than they would ever imagine that she does. And that knowledge becomes quite, you know, pivotal in the book. But yeah, I just, I thought we don't often see, you know, the wisdom of an 80 year old mother on the page, you know, either. And that I, I, I really wanted to just give her that wisdom and that role that she deserves. And, you know, she is so overlooked by everyone and she resents that for sure. But she also holds this kind of tenderness, you know, in her heart to, for, for the kids and for everyone else on the street. And yeah, I just, I loved writing her. She just, she was so nice to write. So had you written this when the push came out or when did, what was the timeline? Yeah. So luckily I had a long stretch. It was, I think, 18 months from the time that sort of I sold the two books to the time the push came out. And so I, you know, was obviously revising the push in that time, but I had time to do a very first, very bad draft. (laughs) As we know, the first drafts are always terrible, but that, that, so I had got things underway. And then after the push came out, really kind of dug into the the big revising um, through, through the pandemic, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Did, so what about now? Are you working on another book? So I'm working on something. Yeah, I am working on something now. Yeah. So I, I, it's so early. I can't say anything about it, but it's, um, but I, I'm loving it. I'm really, really loving it. Yeah. I sort of been paused, paused that while the whispers is coming out to sort of do all within the press and stuff, but I'm excited to get back to it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exciting. <laughs> are your neighbors ever like, uh, <laughs> are, you, are you writing about us? Like, you know, go away. <laughs> well, it's funny. So I, we just moved neighborhoods. Like we're, we're not far, we're like 10 minutes away from where we used to live, but we just moved this summer. So we're just kind of still meeting the neighbors, which is especially awkward. <laughs> this book coming out. But I actually had a, um, a message yesterday from a neighbor who was like, Hey, uh, Hey, Ashley, it's, you know, Michelle from down the street. I'm just reading your book. And I'm thinking, Oh God, she's like, she's not going to invite me to the next backyard party after this it's not gonna happen (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) have you thought about doing anything from the point of view of the men I mean I know sometimes we get little glimmers Mm. into them and but it might be a a neat like I don't know audible companion or I don't know something just to dig a little deeper I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about Jacob in particular and just like you know I love that I love that idea yeah I actually have and actually had at one point during my revisions I had sort of, I'd written some scenes or chapters that were actually from the perspective of some of the men and Ben and Jacob. Yeah. I, mm. I had, I had kind of, I, and I had a lot of fun it, in the end, I kind of, you know, had changed directions and didn't need that anymore, but it actually was helpful to kind of just write those scenes and those chapters from their perspective and get more into the minds of them. Because while we get the perspective from these four women, like their, their husbands all are very important characters, you know, we just don't get their point of view. So yeah, I think I, I'm definitely, definitely interested in that. Yeah. I definitely, I feel like I really know these men very well in my mind. Yeah. If you want, you could take all those chapters and just throw them on Zibby Mag. We could say yeah, the that's forgotten right. chapters. Like what about the men? You know? Yes. No, it's true. No, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, I think they each have their own distinct story too. Oh, well, there you go. So, interesting. <laughs> what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Oh yeah, I was actually I was trying to think this morning of the advice that I gave last time, and I can't remember. But but I think my you know I think the advice that I love to give most that I think is just has been really important you know advice for myself is like you you know there's that that phrase like dance like no one's watching you know and I think you really need to write like no one is going to read. I think that is so that has been a real guiding thing for me, you know, clearly in these very dark, very dark books. I really think you have to just not worry about what people are going to think and, what, and, and and not worry about like exactly who's going to read this and and write the scenes you really want to write, write the characters you really want, you know, to explore and just kind of go there. And I think, I think if we can do that, you know, we, so we, we can just, we can go to some really moving, interesting, you know, deep places. And I, and as a reader, that's, that's what I want to read. You know, I want to really read the truth on the page. So yeah, that's, that's my best advice is just pretend no one's ever going to read it. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I feel like I have to go somewhere else. Like I have mm-hmm. to like get out. I have to just like take my body and like go somewhere else, maybe to like reflect that I'm about to go somewhere else sort of intellectually or something. I don't know. I can't you know like do it in the same spot as I do my work. I totally agree with you. And I, I am the same. I don't ever, I hardly ever, ever write at home and I need to be out somewhere else. And I think actually during the pandemic, when I just found it so difficult with the kids at home to do anything, um, let alone try to be creative and come up with stuff and, you know, all of that. I was, once the hotels opened, you know, here just outside of Toronto, I would go, was lucky to like every once in a while go for the weekend away and just like marathon write. And I would find that being outside of the city, like even just outside of this, it's yep. like, it's like something opens up in your brain, you know, and you really can just feel 
like a total license to just write completely differently, get completely different new ideas. There's like a refreshing thing about that. If, if you're, if you can manage to do it, it is so, it's like a kickstart you know, for writing. Yeah. For really, for everything. It's just, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes. Anyway, do you have any exciting tour? Is there anything on your tour you're like so excited about or a stop that you haven't made before or just something fun? Oh, yeah, I'm excited about a few things. I'm actually, I'm, there's um, going to be the very first like a literary festival or a book festival happening in Columbus, Ohio this summer. And I'm going to oh. be doing that, which I'm really excited about. And then actually I'm going to the UK to promote the book um, when it comes out in July. So I'm, I'm very excited to go to London and there's some fun stuff happening there. So I'll look forward to that. Are you coming to my bookstore? You have to go to my bookstore. Oh, I, I, I are you going to LA? Love, I'm not. LA is not on my schedule right oh, now, but no. I would, I would love to come to your bookstore. I've been, lo- I've oh loved gosh. following along with that whole journey that you're on and all the success. Oh, well, if you, I know that's like completely oh. inconvenient from Toronto, but if you ever get out there, you want to make a stop or you're going oh, that way, you. please do an event there. We would love it. Oh, it would be. I so would fun. love that. Thanks, Ivy. Yeah. Thanks for all the support. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, have a great day. Congratulations. And I will be cozying up finishing your book tonight because I cannot stop reading it. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Sibby. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.